Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. What did you do to her? I choked her out. It was like something was releasing out of me. Like I had a lot of pressure build up in me, and once I did, it was like a release. Like I could breathe with me or something. Did she fight back? She tried. I thought somebody was hunting. Like rabbits and squirrels and stuff like that, up sure. here and stuff. But right. in the city, it was different because they were superhuman. Yeah. I seen a lot of violence in those projects. I didn't have no concern for human life at that time. I didn't care. Just have baby matter or anything. It yeah. Like a light would go off and do it when I would do it. You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. 
Welcome to another episode of Voices of a Killer. In this chilling two-part series, we unravel the twisted tale of serial killer Theotis Hill, a man whose crimes terrorized the Midwest from Arkansas to Missouri and beyond. In this first part, we try to understand what drove Theotis to kill, looking back at his early years and painting a vivid picture of the circumstances that shaped him into the killer he became, from his troubled childhood in the violent projects of Chicago to his spree of murders in St. Louis, we'll explore the harrowing journey that led Theotis down a path of darkness. But there's more to this story than meets the eye. As we delve into his twisted psyche, we'll uncover never-before-heard details about the murders that have haunted him. False reports, wrongful convictions, written confessions, and attempt to seek redemption. These are all parts of this disturbing story. Stay tuned for the dark secrets that will unravel in part one. Embrace yourself for the shocking revelation that await in part two of this bone-chilling episode of Voices of a Killer. So, Theotis, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. I was born in Forest City, Arkansas. Okay. Are your parents from Arkansas? Yeah, my parents were too. Yeah, but I moved. We moved to Chicago when I was one year old. In the 60s, there was no work in the South for African Americans, but the cotton fields and stuff like that, or cotton gin. Yeah. It was hard. My, my father's brother had moved to Chicago, him and his family, and he started working at a steel place. They were building barges, so. My father went down there because he was offered a job down there. My uncle had got him a job, so we ended up going to Chicago. But we had to stay with my uncle for a while, and they were standing in the project. So they were standing in the Cabrina Green project, the Cabrina Green. And my mother applied for an apartment for us, and we ended up getting an apartment in the same project but a different building. How would you describe your childhood? Did you see any kind of violence, or did you? how was it? Oh, it was a very violent project back then, and I didn't understand about it because, as I grew up, it was a culture shock because, as I say, I left when I was one years old, so I don't really remember much as a little bitty kid, but as I got older and I started going to, like, elementary school and I got into the elements of being in the city, it took some getting used to because there was so much going on and the city was so big. Before, the city was a little town. It wasn't really developed back then. There wasn't much going on. It was dirt road. And now it's pavement streets and stuff. But I used to go back in the summertime because my grandparents lived down in Arkansas. So we would go down there in the summer. And then when we come back to the city, it was like a change of twilight zone. Yeah. We, got, we go up in the country. We go going back to the fast city. It never stops. And it was bad. Only time you heard shooting and stuff in Arkansas, somebody was hunting. They hunt rabbits or squirrels or something like that. A sure. deer or something. But... Right. In the city, it was different because they were shooting humans. Yeah. I've seen a lot of violence in those projects. And there was a lot of gangs. Yeah, what about in your home? Uh, there was a lot going on because my uncle just came from Vietnam. And he was on the drugs real bad. If I thought he used to drink, he used to jump on my mom. I used to try to help him. At what age did you get into drugs, Theotis? I think I started young because my father used to give me marijuana all the time. Because he smoked it and he drunk alcohol, so I was. Sneak his marijuana. He would give me some and steal his beers and stuff like that. But I didn't get into no serious drugs until I was an adult. When I was younger, I wasn't doing like no serious narcotics. Do you have anybody well, on the outside that supports you you're in contact with? Man, I don't have nobody. Really? I haven't had a visit in over 12 years, man. Well, I got a son that I haven't seen since he was a baby, man. I don't even know where he's located at. But I have no connections with. It's kind of hard, man, because Obama and I 
fell out because I got married to another woman and I affected them due to the other woman had some kids that wasn't mine and every time I tried to go get my daughter, she'd be like, huh? Oh, my daughter around with a bitch and shit like that. That's the kind of language she was using. Yeah. And uh, she passed away now though. My daughter, mother, she passed away three months after my mother did. Yeah. How does that make you feel? It, it hurts me, man. It hurts me because I wasn't really a bad person out there, man. Before I could have committed my crimes, I wasn't. I was pretty good. Now, I never did nothing wrong to my family, anything like that. I thought I had a close knit family, man. And it shocked me, and that's what amazed me, man. Because I think they more hurt because of the crimes that I committed. Because we wasn't raised really that way. We didn't have much, but yeah. there was a lot of mental abuse and the physical abuse as a kid. You know. Do you ever get someone like that you don't know reach out to you and is just interested in you because you know you're considered a serial killer? I don't have nobody reach out to me. No. But there's a lot of people that are interested in crimes and murder, especially whenever someone like you is considered a serial killer. You have uh, what five murders under your belt? More than that, I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah, but that's what they convicted me of. As we delve deeper into Theodos Hill's story, it becomes crucial to understand the historical and social factors that shaped his upbringing. Growing up in the tumultuous times of the 1960s, Theodos Hill's childhood was shaped by both the historical context of being born a black man in the South and the challenges of growing up in a violent and impoverished neighborhood. During this period, African Americans in the South faced systematic racism and discrimination as the fight for civil rights gained momentum. Segregation and racial violence were all too common, creating a hostile environment for black communities. Theotis's experience were influenced by this volatile atmosphere, where the struggle for equality clashed with deeply entrenched prejudices. Moreover, the Vietnam War added another layer of complexity to Theotis's upbringing. African Americans, particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds, bore a disproportionate burden in the conflict. They were more likely to be drafted into military service, facing the harsh realities of war while grappling with racial injustice back home. Theotis's uncle, a Vietnam War veteran who battled addiction upon his return, exemplified these challenges faced by many black soldiers who fought abroad but encountered a different battle for acceptance and opportunity upon their return. Against this backdrop, Theotis grew up in a violent project plagued by gangs and shootings. The pervasive presence of crime and danger cast a dark shadow over his formative years, making survival a daily struggle. These early experiences undoubtedly played a significant role in shaping Theotis's path, illuminating the harsh realities faced by many African Americans growing up in marginalized communities during a tumultuous era. This no doubt played a role in his propensity to commit the five murders that he has been convicted of, the first of which was in 2006. So you were actually in prison for murder, which if, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first person that you went to prison for was Fannie Mae Hill, which was no apparent relation to you. So that happened in St. Louis? Yes, St. Louis. How old were you about? This was in 2006. I can't remember how old I was. Since they take away, I'm 57 now, and this is 23, so I probably was about 30-something maybe. And you just basically hooked up with her and started doing drugs with her? Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. And The murder was committed the same day that you met her? Yeah, same day. Whenever you first met each other, your first interaction, 
Were you thinking about that, about murder, or just like doing drugs with her and just being around no. her? No, not at all. I wasn't thinking about it right then and there. It wasn't even on my mind. So what time of day did you meet her? The sun had just went down. It probably was about like 7 o'clock. It was summertime. The sun go down. It wasn't cold yet. Yeah, so... So how exactly did you meet her? You just was she somebody that did drugs with you? No, I never met her before. I was just driving down the street. Actually, I don't even know why I was even in that neighborhood. Were you already high on crack? Oh no, uh huh. I had been drinking. Yeah. I had been drinking, and it wasn't always. Every time I committed a, a crime, I wasn't high. Was that's the, the strange part about it? Each murder I committed, I wasn't high with everyone. Yeah. So you're driving down the street and you basically run across her and holler at her and you get to know her? Actually, she turned around and I slowed up. She came over to the car. I said, where you going? I said, I was just riding around. She said, can I get in? I said, get in. Did y'all end up doing any drugs together? She brought it up. She brought it up. She was like, oh, you get high. I was like, you get high for what? Because they asked me drugs over that area. She said, you were sold. I was like, oh, yeah. She said, I know to get some at. I said, okay, come on, let's go get some. Had a little change, a little money. And so we went got and yeah. uh, she said, let's go back to another place. And we went back to her place. That's how it started. Yeah. What was she like? Did you did you like her? Was she a nice lady? I can't kind of recall. From what I remember was that she was explaining to me something about she had to move. I remember saying something about she had to move. What happened at some point and y'all get into an argument or where does it go for you to get to where you're Never got into an argument. It just happened. We started getting high, and next thing I know, she was dead. Whenever you this happened, though, did you finish your drugs, or did you still have some left? I just left. I left. Before you attacked her, had you ran out of drugs? No, uh-huh. I still had some left. What did you do to her? I choked her out. Yeah. Did she see you coming, or did you sneak up behind her, or what? No, she saw me coming. What did she say when you started attacking her? Nothing. She didn't say nothing. Was she fighting back? No. She didn't do anything. What'd you do? Did you grab a hold of her with your hands? Yeah. Yeah. What I've read here is it says that you killed her with a towel on the second floor apartment in St. Louis. That was the towel. No, it wasn't with the towel. The towel was there and I tried covering her up with the towel. Her face stuff with. Why'd you want to cover her face? I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. After you got physical with her and you actually started to attack her, how long did it take to kill her? Not long. Probably, probably about three minutes. Maybe. Yeah. It happened, it, happened, it happened real quick. Yeah. While you're doing this, because three minutes, if you think about it, if we started counting right now, three minutes, that's actually a long time. So what I'd like to know, and I think most people is, at any point in time, minute one, two, two and a half, were you thinking like, hey, I probably shouldn't do this because this person will eventually expire? I didn't think about it like that. I just, I didn't. So you didn't think about it while it was happening. After you were done, did you have any regret looking down knowing what you did? Yes, I did. I had some regret. I had some regret because I was like, she didn't even do anything to me, so why did I do it? Yeah, did you think about maybe trying to call the police a reviver? No, no, I didn't. How long did you stay around in that building with that body in there now? I left immediately. And you covered her with a towel before you left? 
Yeah. But you actually used your bare hands. You didn't use the towel like the news says. Oh. Or the prosecutor. Yeah. I don't know what I got. Yeah. Well, and you know. It's a lot about that because I had somebody read it to me one time. A lot of that they added stuff in there that didn't ever occur. It didn't occur. Yeah. After you killed Fannie Mae, how long after that day did the authorities approach you and arrest you or question you? I was a while. It was a while. Years? It was fun. I was fun. The first time they came and asked me about that, they didn't even want to believe that I had done it. And they asked me, had I ever been in her apartment? And I told them, yeah. I said, yeah, I used to go over there all the time. But I was lying to them. And they believed it. Actually, all they had to do was look in the fog book because it was a sign-in book. They never checked it. Yeah. So you had to sign into the apartments? Yeah. But then they finally basically arrested you for it. And uh, did you confess immediately or did you go all the way to trial and plead not guilty? No. They had locked me up for the same murder. Two or three times and let me go. 20 hours, 20 hours, 20 hours. They never had enough to indict. They kept letting me go. Yeah. And so it just locked me up forward until after I got back from Arkansas, after the low murder. Once they figured out I did that one down there, that Arkansas was looking for me on that murder there. When I came back to Missouri, that's when they locked me up. Yeah. They would have never locked me up for that murder there if I would have never went to Arkansas and committed those other two murders. They so- never would have. The tragic killing of Fannie Mae Hill in 2006 showed the beginning of Theotis' modus operandi. He met Fannie coincidentally, but little did she know that he would become the driver of her final journey. Those fleeting hours in search of a short-term high with crack cocaine would be her last on this earth. It gives weight to the time-old advice of don't take lists with strangers. Most disturbingly is the lack of reason for this senseless act. It is difficult to know what really happened that day, but Theotis's account is chilling. Intriguingly, Theotis's ability to continue his spree of murders raises unsettling questions about the accountability of authorities. According to him, after his first murder, he was repeatedly held by the state only to be released after a mere 20 hours. Could their failure to detain him be directly linked to the subsequent killings? Theotis himself places blame on the state, suggesting that they had kept him in custody he may not have committed the following two murders in Arkansas, which now begs the question, could Theotis Hill's reign of terror have been prevented? Now, Theotis, while you're actually in prison for the killing of Fannie Mae, you were charged with Marissa Lowe's murder while you're there, right? In another state. Yeah. That's not Missouri. That's not Missouri. So did you have to be transported to Arkansas for that Marissa Lowe's murder? Yeah, that was the one with Fannie Mae. That was the second degree murder. The Marissa Lowe murder, that was a capital murder. And the abuse of a corpse, that was a capital murder. And I think three days after that murder there, I committed another one down there as well. Yeah. Fannie Mae happened in St. Louis. Now you went to Arkansas. How did you meet Marissa? There's a place called Big Star. It's like a gas station. It's so beer, gas, food. Sort of like a quick trip. You just started talking to her and then y'all hung out? No, I didn't even see her coming. I was sitting in the car, walking outside of the Big store, and I was drinking some beer in the car. It's hot summertime. And I was sitting there drinking some beer in the car. Well, you know those big tall cans of beer at the time. 
And she walked up to the car. She actually scared me when she walked up on me. The car goes, I didn't ever see her coming. I just turned around, she was there. Yeah, so now let me ask you, Theotis. So at this point, you've actually already killed a woman. Whenever somebody like, for instance, when somebody like Marissa walks up, are you going through your head like, hey, this is somebody I can possibly kill again? Is that, do you think that now? I wasn't thinking it like that, but I would see what made me kill her. I gave her some money to go get She went in a house and did, I sat down in the front for a while. She went out the back door on me. And I had to just drive around the street and she was walking up the street. She was trying to basically steal the drugs from you? Yeah, and she was walking up the street. And I said, where's my stuff at? I said, oh, I got it right here. I said, where are you going? She said, oh, somebody had told me that I had to walk up the street for a minute to take her something. I was like, in the car, man. And I knew then, I said, I'm a killer. That's when I knew then I was funny. So when she gets in the car, do you play it off for a little while or you say you're ass, you know, you're going to be I dead? Yeah. I played it off. So where did y'all go? She gets in the car, and, and you know at that point, I'm going to kill you now. Where did y'all go? At a house down there that my grandmother used to own and passed away. I was huh. actually staying at the house. Was it like an older abandoned house or just a house you were... No, no. License on, gas is on, everything. It wasn't abandoned. So you brought Marissa there, and y'all went inside and started smoking crack? Yeah, but yeah. I had went down there. The reason why I went down there because they kept messing with me about the Benny May case, right? Yeah. So I ended up going down there to uh, dodge authorities. I was going to just lay back, like, like I'm going to hide away for a few years. And uh, when I got down there, she triggered something off in me when she did what she did. Oh. And I think the few after that is when I caught the other down there. I think it wasn't even a week. How much crack did you buy? I can't even remember. I think it was probably about like $100 for something like that. Okay. Did you wait till after you smoked it all and then you killed her? Or did you let her have any at all? Yes, yes, first. Did you kill her after the first hit or did you smoke all of it? No, I let her smoke first and then after that, I didn't even smoke on So you let her take a hit and then you killed her? Yeah. How'd you kill her? Same way. You choked her with your hands? Yeah. Does it make you feel powerful like drugs do, like whenever you kill somebody with your own hands? It doesn't make you feel powerful. It was like something was releasing out of me. Like I had a lot of pressure build up in me, and once I did, it was like a release. Like I could breathe again or something. What do you think you were releasing whenever this happened? I don't know. I think there's a lot of anger and frustration, maybe. And where does that come from? Oh, did I just been holding it? I guess for years and years of just feeling that type of feeling, feeling that rage in me. About the world itself, about the things that I was going through, I really didn't care anymore. I didn't care anymore back then. I didn't have no concern for human life at that time. I didn't care. Did Marissa fight back when you started to attack her? No, I never did. never did. They just grab your hands and try to pull it off. That's all when you're choking them? That's it, yeah. That's all they got. Do you look at them in the face when you're doing that, or you? what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That at any point in choking Marissa, did you think that, wait a second, I've known last time that I did this, someone died, and I know that's not... I never, no, I never did think that because I already I was going to be arrested for the other one. So, Theotis, what I'd like to know is what truth is it, is it where they say in the news that you put Marissa in a ditch? Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I put it in the trunk of my car. And I drove. I couldn't find it where to dump the body. And so I went down there. So today is a federal prison down there. It's right up the street from there. I don't think that prison was there then. But it was building. I think they were building it. And it was a ditch there. And I threw the body in the ditch. That's why they gave me a capital murder. At that time, I just wanted to definitely for that case. Why? Because I was tired. And I knew if I ever got back out that I was going to do it again. Would you say that now? You'd still do that again if you got out there? No, no, not today. I wouldn't. No, not today. Almost 15 years ago, I yeah. did anything. Like, today, I wouldn't because I've changed my life. I've gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I confessed to those, because it was weighing on my heart so heavy. It is important to highlight the tragedy of this case. For Marissa Lowe, crossing paths with the Otis led to her demise and yet another senseless, unjustified, and gruesome murder. Listening to the details of Theotis' intimate connection with the act makes it hard for us to remove the fact that he is, after all, a serial killer. Despite this fact, we need to acknowledge that Theotis knew about this and wanted the death penalty for himself. It seems like a crazy thing for anyone to wish upon themselves, but after his first conviction, Theotis was racked with guilt. He was hiding a secret that he confessed to in the form of letters to the authorities. Were those thoughts consuming you? Yeah, they were consoling me. I was getting frustrated because people did not want to hear about them. Yeah. They didn't want to hear about them. More about these after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So while you're in prison, though, on Fannie Mae, you wrote authorities and talked about other murders you actually wrote a judge a st louis judge and i want to quote you here because it's actually pretty powerful what you said it says the murders involved depravity of the mind and was outrageously and wantingly vile horrible and inhumane unquote it's evident that this was weighing extremely heavy on you were those thoughts consuming you yeah, they were consoling me. I was getting frustrated because people did not want to hear about them. Yeah. They didn't want to hear about them. They figured that they already had me for the uh, Fannie Mae murder and the alone murder. They wasn't even interested in all of the murders. Yeah. They wasn't being consistent. I sent probably 10 letters before those people started contacting me. Yeah. Just letters they talk about. Was that one of the first ones you wrote to the prosecutors, or did you write the prosecutors about every single murder at once? No, I wrote the two states at different times. Was it a little bit at a time, or did you just let them all know it all about all of them? I tried to tell them about all the ones in Missouri. 
But they didn't want to hear about the two of them, two of them, sorry. They didn't right. want to hear about the other murder. Theodos Hill's letters from prison shed a haunting light on the depths of his troubled mind and the extent of his culpability. In these correspondence, he confesses to the gruesome murders he committed, expressing remorse and acknowledging his responsibility for his actions. Within his written confessions, Theodos also attempts to offer some insight into the factors that drove him to commit such heinous acts. He attributes his actions to mental illness, claiming a diagnosis of bipolar disorder narcissistic personality disorder, and a drug and alcohol dependence. These letters became a crucial piece of evidence providing chilling details about the killings that only the true perpetrator could possess. The revelations within them were instrumental in connecting him to additional crimes that had previously gone unsolved. So one of the victims that you called about was Sierra Sullivan, who's 22 years old, killed her in St. Louis in July of 2009 how did you meet her is just the day you met her the day you killed her? i was coming out of a liquor store and she was coming out of an alley out of a liquor store it was on martin luther king and hamilton st louis on the west side okay how would you describe yourself as a charismatic approachable do you look friendly yeah i was just clean cut did you have a rough appearance you look like you were a, a mean guy or did you have an appearance that looked like you were oh. a friendly guy I was like a friendly guy. I was approachable because people would approach me. So, what'd you do for work back then? Did you work? Did you have a job? I had the jobs. I worked at the jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. Like doing what? I worked a lot of factory jobs. I had factory jobs. I had cook jobs. Working at these jobs, did you ever think about or fantasize about maybe just killing somebody you work with? That I work with? Yeah, somebody that you're just working with. No, I never really fantasized about that like that. I know one time I got into it with a manager at a job, and I was. Thought about going back up to the job and doing something. And you'd already killed somebody before when you were mad at him like this? Yeah, yeah. What made you not yeah. do it? I don't know. I just, I didn't want anybody else to get hurt, I guess it was. I just had a target on him. It's funny, is because a lot of people kill when they get mad. And obviously you get mad when you kill, but there's no mechanism from these women. They Not all of them. I'll get to one where they triggered you, but like you're saying, you just do it just to do it. They haven't made you mad or anything. Just have baby matter anything. Yeah. Like a light would go off and do it when I would do it. So with Sierra, after she approached you, y'all basically hung out together and did y'all do drugs together? No, we didn't do any. We didn't do any stun doing at all. What was I the had, purpose of y'all hanging out? She asked for a ride. Okay, so you took her for a ride and did you go kill her? Yeah, I did. You rode down the road and what happened? I forked over on this one side street. I parked on the street called Amherst. So you pulled over, you put it in park, and then what happened? I put it in park, and then I just grabbed her in the headlock and choked her out. Yeah. You didn't say anything to her before you did that? Nope. Nothing at all. And at no point she said, why are you parking? She never asked. Why? Were y'all flirting with each other? Did she just need a ride and no. that was it? No, she just asked you for a ride, and it was going that way where I was going, over that way. I guess she probably thought I was pulling over to probably so, somebody's house. Yeah. I don't know. Here's what I'll tell you. So you're in the driver's seat. She's in the passenger seat, and you say you put her in her headlock? Yeah. I'm not saying that can't be done, but it's a little bit hard. You had to probably like really like take her and put your back up your chest what? up against her back to do it, or did you just hold her? How did you I do it? I just grabbed her, and she like turned around, and I had her like in the, with my arm around her neck, and 
she wasn't a heavy person. She wasn't that no big person. Yeah. Was she fighting back? She's trying a little bit, but... So when you're doing this, are you looking around to see if anybody's looking, or are you just looking down at her? I wasn't even caring about that. I wasn't even caring about that. Did you say anything while you're doing this to her? No. Nothing at all. It was nighttime. It was probably about 9 o'clock. So let me ask you this. As soon as you said, yes, you can have a ride, did you immediately think, I'm going to go ahead and kill this girl? I already knew it, yeah. Does that feel exciting to you to think that this is going to be the one I've got an opportunity now? Or does it make you nervous? You know what? I was already angry about something. And I told them that as well, that I was already upset and angry about something. I can't remember what it was. I told them when they, when they talked to me about the case, I told them that. She couldn't tell that you were angry or she didn't care? Or was your disposition angry in front of her? No, she couldn't even tell. I think she's more interested in was I going to get her high or something. How come it says you'd been drinking and doing drugs with her? It also says that it, you confessed to killing her for taking drugs off the nightstand. No, that's something they put in there. It wasn't that. There was no nightstand because it was in the car. I don't know where they got it. A lot of stuff they just had it. I don't know why they got that. In the world of true crime, the line between fact and sensationalism can often be blurred such as the case with Theotis Hill and victim Sierra Sullivan. While news articles reported one version of events, our interview with Theotis provides a different perspective. According to news reports, Sierra Sullivan was said to have been strangled by Theotis after they engaged in drug use at a hotel. However, Theotis's account paints a much darker and disturbing picture. He revealed that he purposefully picked her up in his car with the intention of taking her life. Fueled by an unexplained anger, he coldly admitted that he knew from the moment she entered the vehicle that he would end her life. This stark contrast between Theotis's interview and the news reports reminds us of the sensationalism that often accompanies coverage of serial killers. News outlets driven by the desire for attention and viewership can sometimes distort or sensationalize the details of these crimes, creating a narrative that captivates the public but may not always align with the truth. This is one of the benefits of hearing Theotis' own words. Disturbing as they may be, they become crucial to separate the facts from the embellishments. The other murder that Theotis confessed to in this letter was that of Catherine Dawson, and as we'll soon find out without Theotis' own words, another man was wrongly convicted on his behalf. More after the break. One thing that I heard I wanted to ask you about was that one of the murders that you wrote about and confessed to and the authorities basically charged you with it and then you were prosecuted for it, there was actually someone else charged with it and then whenever you confessed, they dropped that charge. Did you know about that? Oh, which one are you talking about? They don't specify which one, but they say that another man was charged with the murder that they were actually able to link you to once you confessed. What, What state was it? I believe it was Arkansas, but it... Oh, yeah, that was one. I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, that was the Dawson case. So one of them actually says, and this is the victim, Catherine Dawson, which was on September 9th, 2009. She was 48. You supposedly went crazy on her. Is that true? No, I didn't do that. I didn't go crazy. Yeah, but you used a pillow to suffocate her? Yeah, a pillow, yeah. I think they were actually trying to push for the death penalty at the time. That's why they were saying that. Arkansas really wanted me bad. 
they was more interested into my crimes than Missouri was. Arkansas was more interested into punishing me for yeah. my crimes than Missouri were. Missouri was more like trying to conceal why they did Yeah. So with Catherine, you did use a pillow? Yeah, I did. Did you know her for a while, or you just met her that day as well? I met her at the, what's the name of that place? Uh, it's like a store. It's like a confectionery store. It's right off the highway in St. Francis County. Yeah. And she approached you or you approached her? I approached her. Why'd you approach her? I asked, I asked her about directions, but I was kind of lost. I got turned around. Some kind of way because I was, I was supposed to be intoxicated and driving anyway. So I asked her, but she was leery about getting in the car. But then she got comfortable when I asked her about, did she know where to get some drugs in? And that's what lured her on into the field. Who's at her house? Is that where you killed her? At her house, yeah. And how long after you oh. met at her house, though, did you kill her? I thought it was in there for about, about an hour. What was the discussion like before you killed her? She was trying to explain to me about somebody she knew around her had better drugs or something like that. I wasn't from, too familiar with Arkansas at the time. But the different people in there, because a lot of people I knew when I was growing up there had moved on to other little towns. Uh, what were you thinking about killing her as soon as she got there, or did you just all of a sudden get crazy on her? I didn't get crazy on her. I don't know where that came from. Do you ever discuss that you're going to kill them before you kill them, or you just attack them and they don't no. know? No. Do you sneak up from behind, or you just always grab them? I, she wasn't prepared for it. How did you put the pillow over Catherine? You threw her on the bed? Yeah, I threw her down, yeah. Did she fight back? Yeah. She tried. Do you ever think about while you're doing this that it's not right? I have. I did think about it. Thought about it a lot. Through the years, it really weighed on me. What did you do with Catherine after you suffocated her with the pillow? I left the house. Actually, I was locked in the house because she had locked, she had bars on the door, like a screen door bars, and you push a little lock down and it locks. And I couldn't find her. I was so intoxicated, I didn't remember where she had put the key. So I had to climb out of the bathroom window. Have you ever been accused of doing anything sexually to these women? No, I never did. Never did. That wasn't my desire. So where did you make it they, to when the authorities finally got to you? Once I caught the low murder and I came back to St. Louis, I fled from justice down there because they had questioned me about it. But they was coming back to lock me up. They told my car, kept my car for 24 hours. So I was stuck in town. You hear me? Yeah. St. Francis County Police Department told on my car. And the next day I called and they said, yeah, you can have your car back, come get it. And they find no evidence in my car. So I went back down there. I walked back to the police station. They gave me my car back. They took some items out of it, stuff like that, the club, stern wheel thing. And, and they gave me my keys and they told me, don't leave town. That's what they told me. But I drove and went to Mariana, Arkansas, because I had family in Mariana, Arkansas, which is about, I guess, about 30 miles away. And by the time I got to Mariana, somebody had called down there and told one of my relatives down there that they had kicked the door into the house. They was looking for me. So I left the back route. I didn't go back down through Forest City to hit the highway to go back to St. Louis. I went another route. 
through Mariana. It's not how we'll take his thing with as well. It's like a back road. One of my relatives showed me how to get to the highway through the back roads, and I took the back road that I got to St. Louis, and once I was in St. Louis, I was there for a couple months. I had a warrant in Arkansas. For murder? And for the murder. It's capital murder. Where were you hiding out? I wasn't hiding anywhere. I was in St. Louis. I made it back to St. Louis. I drove back from Arkansas to St. Louis, and I was staying in Jennings. Yeah. I was staying in Jennings, a friend of mine. Jennings, Missouri? A lady, yeah, Jennings, Missouri, with a lady friend of mine. But by the time they found out that I was in Jennings, I had moved from that house to another house. I was on Wilburn, and then once I left on Wilburn, I moved a few blocks over to Helen, and they didn't know it. But they came on Wilburn looking for me, and somebody told that we moved on Helen. And that's right. when they, the Marshal Service came and got me from uh, over on Helen. That was on December the 16th, 2009, when the Marshal Service called. Wrongful convictions are a haunting reality that casts a long shadow over the criminal justice system. The fact that another individual was wrongly convicted in Arkansas on behalf of Theotis is a chilling reminder of the devastating consequences that can arise when justice goes astray. Lives can be irreparably shattered, and the true perpetrators may continue to roam free, leaving a trail of pain and destruction in their wake. While there is not that much information out there on the web regarding this case of wrongful conviction, we can surmise that perhaps this played an influence in Theotis's desire to confess via letter. The result of this letter led to Theotis being charged with the murder of Catherine Dawson in 2014 and the murder of C.R. Sullivan and a murder which unfortunately we did not cover in this interview. That was of Janice Mayhew who was found strangled in her apartment in St. Louis in September of 2008. Theotis ultimately pled guilty to all of these charges and the Marissalo murder. He was prosecuted on a total of five murders, one capital murder, one second degree murder, and three first degree murders. Ultimately, Theotis's own confession bore the responsibility of these charges. Now listener, you may be thinking that this is the end of his terrible and tragic rap sheet, but as we ended our call, he reminded us that there was something else that we needed to talk about. Tune in next time to hear the never-before-heard audio of Theodosis Hill's confession to more unsolved murders here on Voices of a Killer. Yeah, I, I, I have a couple I want to tell you about. That they, I tried to confess to them. They never would let me. I'm going to let, we're going to get there. We don't have to rush it. we got plenty of time to talk, so we'll get through it all, okay? Yes, they didn't want to know about it for some reason. I don't know why. I can't understand. I remember my attorney, Marissa Holman, my husband, and yeah. she bought a lady that would make sense because that actually someone else was actually charged with one of yours until you confessed and they switched thank you for using securus goodbye on the next episode of Voices of a Killer. How come you didn't write anybody in Chicago about this one? They never was interested in that. They just wanted to be arrested in the ones that I talked about. That's one of the murders that they never prosecuted you on? Yeah, they never prosecuted me on. So how long have you been in prison now? How many years? Since 09. 
There's got to be more mental health awareness, man. These doctors at these mental health clinics got to take people serious for what they're saying because all they do is write down some stuff on the paper or pad and they throw it to the side, write you some prescription, and then they kick you right back out there in society. Eventually, it's going to weigh on them. and consciousness is going to kick in. They're going to say, man, that was wrong. If there's there any humanity in their life. That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank our guest, Theotis, for sharing his story with us today. I know it couldn't have been easy for him to relive those painful memories, but his willingness to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind-the-scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this, at our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos, and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before. At our producer tier, you will have the opportunity to engage with the team, participate in Q&A polls, and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments. This tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future. You'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes. How cool. At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. 
So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.